Welcome to First Baptist Church of Terrytown, sharing God's love and hope around the world. Our prayer is that your life is transformed as you hear the Word of God preached today. If you are loyal to believers in Christ, if you show faithfulness to the Church of God, I can guarantee you one thing is going to happen. You are going to get burned. You absolutely will. You will. Uh, we are a church. We're made up of imperfect people, declared righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. But we are imperfect people. And if you are loyal to God's church, you are going to get hurt. You are going to get burned. And uh, some of you will be more severe than others, but it is going to hurt. It will. Sometimes it's intentional. Sometimes it's not intentional. But it hurts. I remember years ago when I was a pastor in a church, there was an individual I helped hundreds of dollars worth to uh, get this individual, this person up on a, a good footing so he could continue on with life and everything. And then when we had a disagreement, not a sin, you know, not, no, no, one, no one lobbed any sin to, at anyone. Well, it was just a disagreement over how to do ministry. He slandered me horribly, horribly, horribly. That was sin. I got burned. Uh, if you are a Christian for any amount of time, you are going to get hurt. I know uh, I have a friend who was a campus minister, minister, and he started doing this campus ministry, and he was doing it out of the joy of his heart. Uh, he, he had a full-time job, but he felt he needed to do campus ministry. And so the church he was a part of had said, we're going to give you a small stipend to help you in your ministry. Now, it wasn't a lot of money. It was nothing. It was practically nothing. It didn't help pay for bills. It didn't even help cover costs of printing materials, right? But it was absolutely nothing. Well, when he finished his ministry at the college after a number of years, uh, he was actually moving to go to a job down south, and the church threw him a going away party. Oh, that's great. At the going away party, someone decided to accuse him publicly at the going away party of misappropriating those funds, of stealing those funds. What a going away party. Wow. Now, if you knew what he was making, it was nothing. It was nothing. What did he buy? Three sticks of gum this week? Right? Like, it was absolutely nothing. If you are a part of a church, you will get hurt. Sometimes it's unintentional. Sometimes it's intentional. You will get burned. So why bother being loyal to God's people, especially if it puts your well-being at risk? Why be loyal to God's people? Why be faithful to God's people, even if it's going to put your well-being at risk? We turn to the book of Ruth. Ruth was written during the time of Judges. And this story is nestled in there. It was a chaotic time. Israel had no definitive leadership. God was their king, but they weren't listening to him. Uh, and so it was a, uh, a very lawless time. And that's where we pick up this story, Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. Read along with me. It says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephraimites and from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. Those took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left with her two sons. Without, excuse me. So the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Okay, so what's happening is Naomi and her husband, there's a famine in the promised land. God isn't seemingly providing for them, or they don't wait long enough, so they decide that they're going to go, and they're going to go into uh, uh, Moab. So this is enemy territory. This is a problem because they leave, they leave the promised land, and uh, all of God's promises, and they go because there's food in Moab. So they live there, things are going okay, and the husband dies. Okay, so they left Israel so that they wouldn't die. The husband dies. The two sons took Moabite wives, and this was a problem because in the Torah, it specifically said not to marry foreign wives. Is this because they were racist? 
No, it was because typically when you had different countries, they had different gods, and God understood if you get married to someone who is not of your faith, that is going to cause problems for your faith. And so they went ahead anyways, they married them, the two sons, they died. What a terrible situation. Naomi and her family had fled Israel. They went into enemy territory to try and escape death, and death has followed them. It's a rough deal. It's kind of like if, uh, I don't know about you, I hate spending money when I don't have to. So if like, I have car trouble, I try and fix the problem myself. But once in a while, that's like above what I'm able to do. And I don't know if this is true for any of you, but there have been times where I'm working on the car and I make the problem worse. So it becomes a more expensive problem than it was before. That's what happened with Naomi and her family. They tried to fix the problem on their own power without consulting God. And the problem became worse. They tried to escape death and nothing but death followed them. Or imagine if you, uh, I'm sure this has happened to someone you know, if you decide to move from your home away from your extended family, to take your family to a job across the country because it's going to pay better, better opportunities, better education. You get there and after two months, you just kind of sort of get settled and you get laid off from your job. It's going from bad to worse. Verse 6. Then she, Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law to return to the country of, excuse me, to return from the country of Moab. She had learned in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughter-in-laws, and they went on to the, on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord, Yahweh, all in caps, Yahweh granted that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept, and they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. And if I should say, I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they are grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Okay, so Naomi, she's over here and she's just saying, like, go. Go back to Moab. Don't come back with me to Israel. It's not worth it. Don't, don't come with me. I mean, what's happening here? What's happening here, I think, is uh, when I was a kid, I was eight years old, my uh, grandmother had passed away, and I don't know why I linked these things together, but my, my cat, our family cat, Tiger, uh, he just went missing right after grandma's funeral. And it was like, oh, where is he? Where'd he go? Where'd he go? And then about, you know, like four or five days later, as we're getting worried, our neighbor about a quarter mile down the road said, hey, we found your cat. He's dead in the bushes, right? Tiger knew he was going to die. And as many animals do, many pets do, they go away from their owners and they, they die away from their loved ones so that they don't grieve their loved ones in their minds. Uh, that's what Naomi is doing here. She's going back to Israel. It is a lawless country. It is unsafe for women. If you doubt that, read the last few chapters of the book of Judges to see how women were treated during this time. It is not good. One of the most vulnerable people in society during this time, actually in our day right now, women are often preyed upon. But here, I mean, if you are a woman without a husband, without a family, you are preyed upon, you're brutalized, you're abused. It was a terrible situation. And if you want to understand the history of it, read the last few book, uh, chapters of Judges. It is horrible what they're going back to. She doesn't want them to live like this, so she like a cat going off to die, says, oh, just, just go. Verse 14, then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Verse 15, and she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. This is terrible theology, right? right? Yahweh, the Lord, the one true God. Yeah, just go back to your gods. But she's depressed. 
Verse 16, but Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from your following. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May Yahweh do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. Okay, now Orpah, her other sister, her other daughter-in-law, she goes, she leaves. And no harm, no foul, right? Her, her mother-in-law says go, and they're all young and uh, apparently attractive, and they can find another husband, and it's safer in Moab right now. So she goes, no problem. But Ruth, oh my goodness, this, this text is often quoted at, uh, at weddings, referring to the referring to the husband and wife, but maybe we should read it to the mother-in-law and the daughter-in-law. Where you go, I will go. I will stay where you stay. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. That's mustard seed faith. She probably doesn't know much about Yahweh, the Lord, the one true God, but she knows enough. I think this is salvific faith. She's in the family of God. She's converted to Judaism. And so she says no more. But this is kind of foolish. All right, you have two women. They're going into just this mad, barbarian, barbaric world together. Off to die, presumably. This is foolish loyalty. Why in the world be loyal to God's people if it is going to hurt you, if it is going to damage you, if it is going to be difficult, if you're going to get burned? Because she, she most certainly will. Verse 19, so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirring because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now, Naomi, that name means pleasant. Mara, that name means bitter. Now, look, I've got a good relationship with my mother-in-law. I'm very thankful for that. I understand that not everyone does have good relationship with their in-laws, okay? It is difficult. Can you imagine if your in-law decided to not go by their normal name anymore, but they said, call me bitter from now on, right? This is not like, why follow someone like this? Why follow God's people like, if this is her representative? Miss Bitter. We're going to call you Miss Bitter from now on. Oh, my goodness. And the house has been vacant. She returns to her house. It's been vacant for 10 years. What condition do you think the house is in? Garbage. It's awful. I can't imagine. Do you think that the neighbors are just like, oh, they haven't come back? We'll just leave it alone. Or we'll cut the grass for them, right? Is that what happened? No. I mean, it's probably been ransacked. It's, it, it, it's probably not safe to even stay in. Maybe not even rat infested anymore because anything of value has been eaten there. It probably has all sorts of bugs. It's terrible. I mean, you can't imagine. Can you imagine if she was just next door, a house was, you know, left unkempt for 10 years? The thing's going to fall apart. Nature has taken over again. It seems really foolish. And now, and now, Ruth, the protagonist of our story, her mother-in-law is going by bitter now. I'm going to die with you. Fine, call me bitter. Ugh. It's not like she's, she's over here like, this is the most loving, pleasant person I've ever had. Now she has a bitter mother-in-law, a bad mother-in-law, a terrible mother-in-law. And guess what? She gets worse. Verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Okay, so um, this sounds kind of weird to us. Basically, their, their, their welfare program back then was 
uh, poor people were allowed to go in the field behind people while they were harvesting, and whatever they missed, they were allowed to pick up. In fact, you weren't supposed to pick anything up if you realized you missed it the first time through because the people who weren't able to provide for themselves were supposed to come through and grab it. But again, this is the time of the judges. This is very dangerous. Naomi, or Mara as she's now called, she essentially says, yes, go. They're starving. They're starving. So she says, yes, you go. You can glean in the fields. Why doesn't Naomi go and glean with her? Two people can carry more than one. She sends her daughter-in-law, her presumably beautiful daughter-in-law, by herself to go glean in the fields with these workers who we'll see aren't always the most uh, gentle or caring or kind. She puts, Ruth puts herself in a very dangerous position. When was the last time you or I put ourselves not just in a dangerous position, but put ourselves out for the people of God. Why be loyal to God's people when it's going to hurt us, when it's going to burn us, when it costs us something, right? When's the last time it costs us something to be faithful to God's people? Verse four, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young men who were in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? This is not in the text. I'm reading between the lines. But historically, Israel tend to find Moabite women extraordinarily attractive. We know that she's young. We know she's still of married age. Boaz is a little bit older than her. And Boaz sees her and goes, doesn't ask about anybody else. Who is this? Who is this? Tell me all about her. Verse 6, and the servants who are in charge of the reapers answers, she's the young Moabite woman who came with Naomi from the country of Moab. Okay, this is where the racist stuff comes in. She's converted to, to following Yahweh now. But now they're like, oh, yeah, don't mind her. She's a Moabite. You know what those people are like. And yeah, she's from Moab, in case you didn't know. All right, he mentions it twice. This is where the racism comes in. She's converted to Judaism. However, they're now, oh, she's from Moab. They hate her. And you could do whatever she wants. She, she's not worth your breath. Verse 7. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bound to the ground, and she said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Yahweh repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wing you have taken refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at the mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed, passed to her the roasted grain. And she also ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her and also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. Okay, so like I said, it was really dangerous. So Boaz had to order his men, don't touch her because he knows how they are. He knows how women are treated in Israel. He knows how women who are single, who don't have uh, a, a, a family to protect them, how they are treated horribly. I know I'm, the women are all with me on this. They're like, no, no, we get it. And the men are like, eh, I don't know. No, it's... This is walking down a dark alley at night. So this is it, right? Like Boaz, he's a little bit older, but is this the answer? What happens if you're loyal to God's people? Boaz has taken an interest in her. He's older than her, but he's like, you know, an attractive older. Like who's an older Hollywood type that's really attractive right now? Help me out, ladies. George Clooney, who? Who'd you say, Aaron? Yeah, yeah, Harrison Ford, who else? Why are all the men answering? Tom Cruise. 
Ladies, come on. Kevin Costner, Superman's dad. What was that? Kristen said the perfect answer was George Clooney. Ken, you're not helping yourself here. <laughs> All right, yeah, so like, it's like a George Clooney. It's like a Harrison Ford type. It's like a Kevin Costner type, right? So she's younger, but she's like, oh, this, he's a silver fox. This is kind of cool. I'm, I'm enjoying it. You know, this is great. Is this what it is? Is this what the answer is? If you are loyal to God's people, even when it hurts, even when it's hard, then you get to marry the person of your dreams. Or if you're already married, it improves your marriage, right? Is that what it is? Is this the Disney fairy tale ending? No, because we still have like two and a half chapters to go. Verse 17, so she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephath of barley. And she took it and went up into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over and after being satisfied. Verse 19, and her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? Right, because she came home with a lot of stuff. And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name in whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So, right? So she already knew it was a problem. She already knew it was a danger. And her mother-in-law was like, Psh, go ahead, go get food for us. Right? She already knew it was. Oh, it's good that you weren't assaulted today and came home with a lot of food. <sighs> so she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. All right, so this idea, she said uh, that Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. A kinsman redeemer, so back in Israel in ancient times, one of the most important things was that your family name would continue because if you died with no children, your family line ended there. And children perpetuate your name. Children perpetuate your future, your history. And so Israel had a practice. If you did not have children, there was a kinsman redeemer, someone who was a close relative to the deceased husband, would be able to, if they agreed to, marry the wife, have children, and those children would bear the name of the family that is deceased. Now, in this scenario, who benefits, Naomi or Ruth? Naomi. Ruth doesn't get anything out of this. Like, she's a Moabite, right? She's like, I don't care about, like, she doesn't, they don't care about perpetuating the family name and the family line. Like, it's Naomi. Naomi gains everything out of this. Ruth isn't getting anything out of this. Why be loyal to God's people even if you get burned? The very flawed people. Chapter 3, verse 1. Oh, it gets worse. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Okay. We got to talk about some stuff here in this text. <sighs> so, mother-in-law, Naomi, says, oh, let me find rest for you. Why don't, we, why don't we get you to marry Boaz? He will be the kinsman redeemer for our family. He would be a good person to do this. Now, if you read some more, I'm just going to use the phraseology, conservative, and I mean that in a uh, biblical sense, conservative uh, commentaries, they'll typically say, oh, this was a typical marriage ceremony proposal. And if a woman was interested in a man, then she would do something like this, okay? If you read more progressive commentaries, they say, wow, What's about to happen here? This was like, they're too polite to actually report what was happening. This was, this was like, ugh, this, this, this was a really sexy scene. And there was, there was an illicit affair that happens and they were just being very polite in here. And you know what the truth is? It's, it's actually kind of in the middle of the road here. This was not a marriage proposal ceremony that happened. It's never existed in time and memoriam. Those of you who have daughters, would any of you say, hey, 
here's an idea. If you want him to marry you, how about after he's had a hard day of work and after he's drunk a lot and he passes out drunk and hit the couch in his house, how about you go up to him, start taking off his pants, and then see if a marriage proposal comes through? Does that sound like something you want to send your daughters towards? No, no. Naomi is telling Ruth, degrade yourselves. Oh, by the way, in the Old Testament, not all the time, but sometimes when it says feet, it's actually talking about things you have to cover with a bathing suit, okay? So not all the time. So every time you see feet, don't be like, oh, they're talking about, no, that's not every time. <laughs> Contextually, right? It wouldn't make any sense if uh, Ruth goes and uncovers Boaz's feet and he's like, my feet are cold. Now the monsters under the bed are going to get me, right? No, <laughs> This is a, a euphemism, a common Jewish euphemism. Uncover his feet, take his pants off. How degrading is this? I mean, how degrading is this? How horrible that Naomi's asking Ruth. Ruth doesn't get anything out of the deal. It's Naomi. Naomi's going to get lifted out of, out of poverty. Her name will be perpetuated. She says, hey, go and seduce this man. Put on your perfume, put on your nice clothes, wash, and then wait till he's passed out drunk and go seduce him. Why be loyal to God's people like this? Verse 5, she does it. And she replied, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, who are you? And she said, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. I don't know. I chuckle there because, wow, this is better than what you did before. As, he's, as she's in his room by herself seducing him. This is kinder than what you've done before. You haven't gone after young men. You came after me. Verse 11, and now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you will ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. All right, so this, okay, seems like it's going good, right? Yeah, things are going well. She's going to marry him. She's going to marry the silver fox. This is good. This is great. Verse, uh, the second part of verse 12. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you good, let him do it. But he will not, if he will not redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. So she left you know, when no one saw her, she had to sneak out. And he said, let it not be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. Okay, so, so right, like this, Naomi says, go seduce him, go seduce him. She starts the process of seduction. Fortunately, Boaz doesn't seem followed through with it, but he says, wow, yeah, I will redeem you. I will marry you, <gasps> except, except there's someone a little bit closer. They have first right, so we have to ask that person first. Ladies, all right, I'm just particularly asking the ladies now. Ladies, if there's a guy you're interested in and he's like, man, I want to marry you, I want to marry you, but you know what? I got to see if Bob over here wants to marry you first. How are you feeling? Do you feel loved and cherished? Is this what happens in the Disney movies? Not the modern ones, the older ones, you know? <sighs> Is this what happens? Right? Little Mermaid and Eric. Oh, I want to marry you, but oh, wait, I got to marry the sea witch first. <laughs> she feels, oh, well, that's good. You know, I got to wait in line, I guess. Is that what you want, ladies? Absolutely not. Why is Ruth degrading herself? What is the point of this? What happens if you are loyal to God's people and you get burned? I mean, certainly not, I've never been abused or misused to, to this point, but oh my goodness. 
I've been slandered terribly by people in the church, total lies. And look, I will own up to my mistakes. But to be slandered and to not be able to say anything, I mean, that's just awful. I remember, man, this was my uh, church years ago. I was a youth pastor, and I was slandered horribly. I mean, it went like wildfire throughout the church. This is what Pastor Nathan said. This is what he did. It's awful. It's terrible. Uh, right? And I never said anything of the sort, right? And so finally, the, uh, the pastor who was there at the time, he's a transitional pastor, he said, let me fix this. And I'm like, really? What are we going to do? And, he's, and he, so what he decided to do, he got a meeting together where the person who started this letter met with me, but we weren't there to actually work out and find out the truth and reconcile. No, we wanted to talk about the slanderer's feelings, make sure that the slanderer was okay with life and everything, because we don't want them to leave the church. Who cares about you, Nathan? Right? <laughs> what? Why be loyal to that? Some of you have been treated horribly in churches, probably this church, where people have forgotten about you, they misspoke about you, they talked about you behind your back. You were forgotten, maybe alienated, maybe excluded, maybe unheard. And maybe, I mean, frankly, we have disagreements about philosophy. I want to reach, I want to do outreach this way, I want to do outreach this way. And those can be strong disagreements, can't they? And it's not like we have all the manpower and all of the, the money to do both things. So sometimes you have to make a decision, and it hurts when you get rejected. So why be loyal? Why be loyal to God's church? Why be loyal to God's people if you're just going to get burned? Because I tell you, it hurts. It hurts. Chapter 4, verse 1, now Boaz had gone up, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, chapter 3, verse 16. And when she came, Ruth came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all the men had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle, settle the matter today. Ver, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. And then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And the man said, I will redeem it. Wow. So that's difficult, right? I thought about, but I'm not going to make this interactive in this part and say, have you been burned by God's people before? But I figured that would probably end up in like, you know, me being here for 10 hours as we have to work things through in the church. So I decided against that wisely. But get into your mind. Where have you been burned by the church? Where have you been hurt? And I, I fully confess, I've only been here four and a half months, almost five. And uh, you know what? I realize I've already burned some of you. Unintentionally, none of it's been intentional, but it's happened because we're humans and that's what happens. It really does. Think about in your mind, where have you been hurt by God's people? Uh, it, it happens in a variety of different ways, but it is so difficult. Sometimes, you know, I can remember being a young kid, and we had like an open Q&A time at the church. <laughs> so I asked a question, and man, I got ripped up one side and down the other just for asking the question in front of people. <sighs> you know how humiliating that was? How terribly difficult it was. It's hard. I, I, I was, um, doesn't, it would count legally as a physical assault, but I was physically assaulted once. We had a guy come in. He wasn't happy about a, a decision that was made. And, uh, and he marched into the secretary's office, slammed the door angrily. I'm like, well, I'm not going to let him be in there all angry like that. So I went in, right, because I don't know what he's doing or screaming or yelling because he came in angry and slammed the door. So I said, hey, can we talk? And he just like shoved past me. And uh, the worst part was he had like a tank top on and like the hairiest shoulders I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it was like, like, a, like a tribble or a chia pet or something coming out of there. It was unreal. 
I mean, and it hurt how hard he hit me, but man, the thing that really traumatized me was that sweaty hair touched me. Um, but see, I'm using humor to cover the pain of it. Because this was someone that I went to bat for. This is someone that I lost a friendship over because I defended him and his children. When this mad, angry guy came into church and was being obnoxious and don't want to deal with him, I stood up and said, no, we're not going to do things like this. And I got to get angry phone calls for three weeks and, and voicemails being cursed at. And this was someone I went to bat for. And now because you don't agree with this, this is how you treat me? You have story. You have worse stories. Why be loyal to God's people if it's going to hurt? So the man says, I will redeem it. Verse 5 of chapter 4, then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also are acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the woman of the dead. So it's interesting. He's using like their innate racism here now against, <laughs> against the man the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead of his inheritance. And he's also saying, like, these children will not, you know, they're not going to be your children. They will actually get the inheritance ultimately. Then the Redeemer said, oh, I can't redeem it for myself lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Cool. Verse 7. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attested in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought the land from the hand of Naomi and all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have brought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead of his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily of Ephrathath and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that Yahweh will give you by this young woman. So Boaz turns out to be a good guy, right? Like he has to follow the law, right? He wasn't like, I don't know. He turned out to be a good guy. He didn't take advantage of her when, you know, every other man in the world would have at that point. Uh, he didn't take advantage of her and he had to follow the law, but he did it in a very sneaky way. He's like, oh yeah, yeah. And then Moabite and inheritance and dead man's wife, like all of the verbs and adjectives he's using to try and dissuade the man. And the man freaks out. He's like, I don't want anything part of that. No, I, I can't do it. My wife will kill me if I take a mole about wife, ah, right? So it turns out to be a pretty good man. Now, if the text ended here, this is the answer. This is the big idea. If you're loyal to God's people, it will improve your marriage. If you're loyal to God's people, you will get married to the best of people. If you're, you, uh, you're loyal to God's people, then you'll have a Disney, the older ones, uh, ending where, where we lived happily ever after the end. But that's not where the text ends because that's not enough. Something bigger happens. Something better happens. There's a bigger reason. Verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the woman, women said to Naomi, blessed be Yahweh who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of old age, of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. What David are they referring to here? King David, the greatest king Israel ever knew when Ruth was loyal to a fault, loyal to the point where everyone else, even her own mother-in-law said, walk away because I'm a bitter woman. When she was loyal to God's people to a fault, even at her own detriment, even when it put herself in danger, even when she got burned, even when she had to humiliate herself, it resulted in the birth of the greatest king Israel had ever known. 
when we choose to be loyal to God's people, even when it hurts, even when it's hard, even when there's hardships, even when people say offensive things that they don't mean, or when they say offensive things that they do mean. The result will be the greatest leaders we will ever know. I think part of the problem in the American church right now, we're so celebrity-driven, we're so so cool-driven, we're so everything-driven, we're not loyal to each other. We don't see each other as the family that Jesus shed his blood for. Remember on the cross when Jesus died, he said to John, the apostle, he said to John, behold your mother, referring to Mary. Now, I don't think this was just the son saying to John, take your mother, take care of my mother, please. I think there was some of that there too. But it was deeper than that. It was theological. He was saying, Mary, you are now his mother. John, you are now her son. Because of my blood shed on the cross, you are now a family. I have made for myself a new family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, mothers and fathers, aunts and uncles. And I think when we are loyal to each other, it will result in the greatest leaders we will ever see. Verse 18, it says, Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Abinadab. Abinadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. It repeats it twice just so you don't miss it right? This is not a, this is how you get a husband or, or spouse uh, a text. This, this isn't how to improve your marriage text. This isn't how to have a good relationship with your mother-in-law text. This isn't how to be a good mother-in-law text. Mother-in-laws take note. <laughs> Don't be like Naomi. This is a text of what happens when God's people are loyal to each other, even to a fault, even when everyone else says to go, it results in the birth of King David. And we as Christians, New Testament believers, we know it didn't end there. David was almost the best king Israel ever knew. Who was the best king Israel ever knew? Yes, Jesus. (laughs) And God, right? Jesus is God. Right, Jesus King Jesus, the Messiah who was and is and will come again. He was the greatest king and is the greatest king and will be the greatest king when he comes again. And David, Jesus is called the son of David. When we choose to be loyal to each other, even when it hurts, it will result in the most amazing leadership this world will ever see. Now, my personal observations is that the, the state of leadership in Christian leadership in America is abysmal, present company included. We, we really, I mean, we are so obsessed with the wrong things. We are looking at, we look at uh, uh, charisma and gifting and talent and, and stage presence and popularity. I can't tell you how many churches I've talked to, and you talk to them, they're looking for a pastor, and, and, and they make a, a list of the things that they're looking for, and the top thing they put on their list is, we want someone famous. What? Where is that in the New Testament for the qualifications of elders? Spoiler alert, it's not anywhere. I, and, and even if they don't put it at the top of their list, they, I've heard so many church people say, I hope we get someone famous. I hope so, we get someone famous, right? And then I look at what they're paying the pastor. I'm like, you're not going to get anyone famous. You're not going to get anyone famous. <sighs> it's unreal. It's unreal. And we see the, the people that have potential to be great leaders. And if you paid attention to the news or bought a magazine of Christianity Today at all, you see, or follow Twitter or X or whatever in the world it's called now, you can see time and time and time again that, that these people who have potential, oh, they're great leaders, what do they do? They fall and they fall and they fall and they fall and they fall. Let's put up a few people. You have Annie Armstrong. She was a Baptist uh, leader about 140 years ago. Uh, Her work put together the Women's Missionary Union, which still exists to this day, to this day. And she, um, her work, because of that Women's Missionary Union, I gotta tell you, like, it's changed the world. But for me personally, we have a missionary at my previous church. His name is Godfrey. He just survived a terrorist attack. Because of the work that this woman did 150 years ago in Uganda, there are now, what do we have to, four? There are going to be seven freshwater wells when they had none 
in this village because of the work she did, because of the Women's Missionary Union working with us to, uh, to get a grant to fund those wells. All right, it's amazing. Well, how did she get there? How did she do it? Did she do it on her own? No, she had people that surrounded her, that were loyal to her, that worked with her. Martin Luther King Jr., right? Yes, I understand he, he had some moral failings. He's a flawed hero like all of us. But oh my goodness, how in the world was the civil rights movement affected so deeply? right? How did he have such a huge impact in this world? It wasn't because it was him and him alone, was it? He is not the only person involved with civil rights. This good Baptist pastor had so many people surrounding him, loyal to him, supporting him, encouraging him to go on, and picking him up when he fell and when he stumbled. Going down to the bottom here, you have Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth Elliot, oh my goodness, it just, again, talk about flawed leaders, right? You look at some of her, her diaries and everything and how, um, what would the right word be? Spicy, salty, how abrasive she could be, right? And yet, here's a woman, her, her, her husband was murdered by tribes people. And what does she do? I don't know, if my family is murdered, what am I going to do? I'm going to get as far away from this as possible. No, she says they need Jesus. So she goes and she ministers to the people who murdered her husband with her children. She only did that because she had support. She only did that because she had people who were loyal to God's people. And they were able to rebuke her when she needed to be rebuked and, and encourage her when she needed to be encouraged. Harriet Tubman with the Underground Railroad. We, we have... One of the last stops of the Underground Railroad just down the street from here. I don't know if you knew that. It's amazing. How did she, how did she manage to, to affect the Underground Railroad so much? She didn't do it on her own. She had people who were loyal, who encouraged her. Yes, she had some voices that were like, you can't do this. Get away. Just run yourself. No, but she had people who she would work with, who encouraged her, who set up safe houses at the risk of their own life, their own well-being, their own freedom. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr., the Protestant Reformation. It didn't happen because he was a, an island unto himself. Uh, you have the guy up there in the, you know, powdered wig and everything, uh, George Whitfield, one of the first great American awakenings. How did that happen? It's crazy. Like, back, way back then, entire congregations would move across the sea together. Can you imagine that? Right? I can't imagine that. I went from my congregation. I had a lot of people that loved me in California. I moved from there to Michigan. And a lot of them were like, we want to move with you. We want to move with you. None of them moved with me. You know, none of them, like, it's a hard sell. Perfect paradise uh, weather all the time in Southern California. Northern Michigan to the land of outer darkness. Yeah, no one moved with me. No one moved with me. And, you know, I moved from, here to, from, from there to here. I had people, oh, we love you so much. Oh, we wish you could come. No one followed me, right? And I'm not saying that anyone should follow me and my calling. God has specific callings on their lives. But, but they were so loyal to each other back then that they would decide as a congregation and the entire congregation would move from country to country, from place to place. That, we don't understand that, do we? We just don't. George Whitfield, when he would do his messages, he would say, hey, I'm going to go open-air preaching. And he would go preach somewhere. And his whole congregation would show up so that there was a crowd. And then other people were like, what's going on over there? And they would do-do-do-do-do. They'd go over and the crowd would grow. We will not see leaders like that again until we choose to be loyal to each other. Now, look, I'm not saying we submit to abuse. I'm not saying when our, our Christian leaders are, are acting a fool or acting immorally that we don't call it out, that we don't remove their credentials, that we don't have them step down. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we start this whole uh, uh, mafia-style church thing where, uh, you know, you, you never talk bad about the family when they're doing bad, right? No, 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 no. No, we're a family. That's it. We call each other out when we need to be called out. When people need to be removed from positions, they're removed from, from positions. When, you know, if church is absolutely toxic and abusive, I'm not saying that you stay there. <sighs> but we're loyal to each other because we're a family, because we love each other, because Jesus died for us. So we can deal with the idiosyncrasies. And you know what? We can do the uncomfortable thing when someone says something offensive. We can say, you know what? That hurt me, right? And you go and confront the person and see what happens. Maybe it'll go well, maybe it won't, who knows? 
But I'm convinced that if we want to see God's church in America grow, we got we to gotta get away from this church's performance. We got to get away from this church grabbing onto political power thing. We got to get away from this thing saying, hey, we, we've got to be the biggest, baddest thing in the world. No, we just have to say, we are sinners in the hands of a loving God who sent his son to die for us, shed his blood so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. He rose again, and that same resurrection power works within us. We are a family, and we will deal with each other in all of our imperfections. We love each other. We will be faithful to each other because Jesus is more faithful to me than I can ever be to him or his people. When that happens, and we stop looking at the church down the street as competitors, and we can come together, when that happens, I think God will raise up leaders far better than anything we have right now. Men and women who love the name of Jesus and can give his hope to this world that so desperately needs the hope of Jesus Christ. Loyalty breeds good leaders. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the story of Ruth. Everything she went through. I mean, she she is the protagonist of this story. She is the hero of this story. She... She just amazes me. Uh, All of us have been hurt. I've been hurt by brothers and sisters in the Lord, by God's people, by your people. But not to that extent. Not to that depth. It is a hard thing. And yet, Lord, through her, you raised up King David. Through her loyalty to your people, through her faithfulness to you and your people, You rose up King David. I pray for us as a congregation, Lord. I pray that you help us to love each other so much that yes, even in the awkwardness, yes, even when we say offensive and dumb bad things, yes, even when I say bad things, we need to be called out on it. That we're willing to sit down, work through it, and that maybe someday from this congregation, maybe someone who's sitting here right now, there will be leaders in the Christian church Men and women who can hear my voice right now, you will raise them up to lead your church, to evangelize the lost, to bring hope into this world that desperately needs it. And Father, we know that's not going to happen unless we are loyal to each other, unless we are faithful to each other. Not, Not giving a pass for abusive behavior or for sin, but instead calling those things out extending forgiveness, and moving forward in the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for the forgiveness of sinners like us. Help us to love each other as a family. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about the church or make an online donation, please visit us at fbctarrytown.org.